0: I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theatre scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theatre scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theatre creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be... Stageworthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Stevie Baker is a director, producer, and costume designer, as well as head of production for Dotless City Theatre. She's also director on the boards of Arts Aurelia and Mariposa Arts Theatre. She joined me to talk about relocating from Toronto during the pandemic, finding community after moving, producing Toronto Productions from out of town, and much more. Here's our conversation. Stevie, welcome. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. Um, Just to, one thing, I was thinking about the fact that we kind of have been uh, peripheral to each other you've worked with uh my friend Adriana prosser on her first solo show you've worked on some friends of mine you were the stage manager for uh, night feed um you've worked with dauntless and i've known a few people on that so we've we've known each other peripherally for quite some time and this is our first time being able to to, to chat um how do you describe what you do your artistic practice or 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 your focus
1: Um, I would say that at this point in my career, my focus is primarily producing and um, directing. Before the pandemic, I was doing a lot of costume designing, and I did do that again this summer with Dauntless's most recent show, This Earth of Majesty, which was great, but I haven't done it so much. But I mean, that's kind of the pandemic, sort of just easing back in. I've done four shows this year, but that's after a very dry couple of year
0: <laughs> with those with those dry coming I mean, we've all had the dry couple of years and we've all done a second I say we've all done things we're not proud of but you know what <laughs> we've all done yeah. things and, and you know what we should be proud of the, of the things that we did so i just want to put <laughs> that out there um the things that we did creatively or otherwise um what did you have a creative outlet during the pandemic or were you completely like just focused on survival and getting through the thing
1: um kind of a combo well really so much of the pandemic for me was like yeah survival for sure like we of course being working in theater um, my career really just grinded to a random halt um we ended up having to leave our apartment in toronto and moving to severn where i'm from to move in with my sister and uh Yeah, so it's been weird. I mean, I have two small kids. They're six and nine now, so they did a year of virtual school. So it was really survival-based, and I found myself, like, as much as I wanted to have some sort of creative renaissance during the pandemic, which I believe is still happening, um, I didn't for the first two years of it. I am someone who sews a lot. I didn't really make anything. I didn't... I don't know. It was just really... Yeah, survival mode.
0: Yeah, I get that. I mean, let's acknowledge the pandemic is is still going on and we should all be masking and, and all the things that we should be doing, um, which some people are not. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that because that's a depressing <laughs> topic. But I will, I will say the first m- most of 2020 for me was full of doom scrolling. There was no creative outlet for quite yes. a bit of it. It was just like ah, uh, what's going on? Like that kind of like panicked survival mode. Um, but uh, eventually uh, I, I was able to 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 find uh, some creative things to do. I, however, didn't have children who needed to uh, be virtually schooled and, and had to be cared for and that sort of thing. Um, so the choice to move to Severn, was that, I mean, was it a choice or was it like we just can't do this in toronto anymore and we need to we need to 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 go somewhere else
1: it was really kind of that like i remember when i told my parents i was moving home like i literally told my dad like okay hell has frozen over like i am coming back because that was never in my plans to ever move home um yeah. So it was really like a, a, we can't do this. Like we were living in a pretty small, like windowless basement apartment in the junction. And I mean, we, it worked for us at the time when we could be outside constantly and that sort of thing. And once that became questionable, it was a problem. Um, and with four people in a tiny space, it was tough. And then August 2020, Uh, when we realized like, oh, this is not wrapping up and it's likely to get much worse once everyone starts, you know, once the fall happens. And school was not sounding promising to me. So we were like, okay, we have to virtual school these kids and we cannot keep them in this cave like 24 hours a day. It's going to be so bad. (laughs) So it was kind of like I called my sister one day and I was just like, Devastated, but I was like, I think we have to come live with you. <laughs> it's like okay, <laughs> and then like within a month we were we were there. It
0: was yeah. really fast. I started twenty in twenty twenty. I was living in a basement apartment too, so I spent about a year of the pandemic in a basement apartment while also predominantly working from home. So I I sort of get that, but that was just me. I can't imagine like four people trapped in a basement. It said trapped in a basement, but you know, like that, like it that. Like it. I'm sure it did especially during that year of like you know you barely peeking your head out and things like that um as far as as you know having your creative life while in severn how does that look for you these days what is what does it look like uh, now as compared to to where you were
1: um now it's moving into like a really fantastic place um About a year ago, so I'd say October 2021, um, one of the, like a community theater group up here, Mariposa Arts Theater, they were kind of uh, starting to get people together for a show. So I submitted to direct a show for them, um, which I did do, Steel Magnolias, and it was delayed. It was supposed to go up February 2022, and then uh, it eventually ended up happening in April um so yeah that happened and that was really great like the actors were incredible my stage manager felt like a pro she felt like the kind of person i was used to working with on like Dauntless list shows it was really nice and i really connected with some of those actors and i reached out to another group called arts aurelia and they invited me to a few things they do. um, One of their main programs right now is like this dance and design residency. So a dance company will come and work with like a lighting designer or costume designer whatever to work on that element of a piece that they're doing. Um, So I did that and then I started adjudicating on their panel for that. And now um, I'm on the board for both organizations And I just produced Rocky Horror with Mariposa Arts Theatre, which went up in November and which was their most successful show in like 20 years. So now things feel a little bit like uh, they're going somewhere. It's different um, because it's not necessarily a career in the same way. It's hard to sustain yourself doing doing shows here uh, as a career. But, um, but the work has been really good and there are incredibly talented people up here and uh, just like finding community has been so, so, so good.
0: We all need that. We all need community. Um, I often, there's, there's sort of that idea of, of the, uh, the theater community, quote unquote. And I, I often, you know, we refer to it a lot, but I I never really know what that is because, we just have silos and those, I guess, are communities, but there's no overall theater community. I would imagine in a smaller town that it could feel a little bit more like a community.
1: Yeah, I I think so. Like here, it's interesting, like I'm still really learning because there are like community theater is a completely different world than indie theater. Like it's just, it's so, 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 so different in ways that I wouldn't have anticipated. Uh And they're all intertwined sort of through the region. So people know the people in Bracebridge and the people in Barrie and in Innisfil and like all of these different groups. And so I'm still learning who people are. And every time I'm hanging out with someone, they're like, oh, and this person's doing this and this group's doing this. And I'm like, wait, who are these people? What do those initials stand for? (laughs) What is happening? Because I'm very much a like. I want to know everybody. I want to know what's happening everywhere and kind of where I'm going to best fit. Like, for me, I was so lucky in Toronto. Dauntless um, felt like a huge community, even though it was often, well, not always uh, the same people, but sort of the same core group people. And um, I guess it's just a segment of indie theater in toronto is like all the shakespeare people kind of know each other <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's very true yeah. um now as a producer now i noticed you've done you produced the rocky Horror show, but you also produced uh slaughter brothers dime circus which was in toronto um was that a remote producing role were you in Severn uh producing a show in toronto or did were you commuting
1: so that i was in Severn so i did come like i did come down to the city to see the show um but i was producing remotely and it was kind of stacked with um with this earth of majesty dauntless's show and that show because i was doing costumes i was in the city far more frequently um still not really announced but far more frequently and then uh most of slaughter brothers was just yeah virtual and that was fine in general that kind of work you can do remotely pretty successfully but it was a different feeling like even though i have a history with sean sullivan and lynn griffin and working with them and you know i love them so much it still was so different like i you don't feel as much a part of the group and the like family that's happening in rehearsals and things when you can't be there
0: Yeah, for sure. That's, that's. I think, as remote things continue in the theater world, that's definitely going to be a part of it because you're missing the moments. You're missing the things that are happening in the room. It's almost like if you're going to do remote, there has to be a camera on in the room so that, like, you can just sort of check in.
1: Yeah, yeah, right? Because so much does happen in the room. And... And people forget, right? Especially like Slaughter Brothers Dime Circus was a really, really small group, tight-knit group. Uh, Most of us had, like I hadn't worked with everyone, but everyone had worked with Sean and Lenny. And, you know, so things would happen in rehearsal. And then I sort of hear about them down the road. And I was like, oh, no, I had no idea that was a thing, (laughs) which is fine. But like, that's the magic of being in the room together is all this great stuff happens. And when you're just like, at home, occasionally checking your email, you're not <laughs> seeing it or experiencing it.
0: Yeah, yeah. For my for my day job, for for many years, when we were in the office, uh, we had a, a, an office in Berlin, and we would have company meetings, and uh, we would have the 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 Berlin office would uh, basically like video call in, but they would often feel forgotten because we were just talking to each other in the room. And every so often, somebody would say, into a mic, please, just to remind us that they were there. It's so hard, even if you're doing it, like we were doing this weekly, and we would still fall into that. It's like, it's so hard to, 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 to consistently keep in mind the remote people. And I wonder if the remoteness of the pandemic is helping us maybe do more of that, since more people are remote. But again, rehearsal isn't really conducive to that so I wonder are there ways that you can think of as a producer that that might be able to better facilitate that moving forward as we do more remote things
1: yeah I wonder like we've done different things because I have yet to work on a show like I worked on four shows this year um, which is kind of a lot going from zero shows uh, and every show had a COVID situation Um, Steel Magnolias like we started rehearsals December 2021 and we had a table read together and then everything went crazy and so then we had to start doing virtual rehearsals because at the time we still thought we were doing the show in February right so doing virtual rehearsals was something that I wasn't really excited about but nobody was really excited about but it was interesting like I find a lot of the times in my sort of rehearsal process, like we're up and moving around pretty quickly and not necessarily sitting and doing a lot of table work because I find so much comes from moving around and interacting with each other. So with Steel Magnolias, it really flipped. And I was like, okay, well, we still have to do work. Like we still have to be doing something. And so... It was interesting. Without that ability to move around and be in the space together, it kind of forced us to talk a lot about character and um, which we always do, but like in a very different way. And I thought that that was really interesting. And we got to know each other very well and very closely because no one was excited about it. You know what I mean? It was like the thing we all had to really do together. So that was the thing and when we did our tech one of the well everybody's a lead in that show it's so small but um the woman who played Shelby was ill and so I remember we were in the really opera house doing our tech rehearsal and I was playing Shelby on this on stage and she was watching on a laptop and we just had her like Plugged in, watching the whole time, and she was sort of in and out, and we had a microphone kind of close so every once in a while we could interact with her, Um, which was interesting. Like, it didn't 100% do the trick, but just sort of having, for her, I think, having us on in the background was helpful to still feel like they have a sense of what's happening. Um, Yeah, and that happened, I feel like, something else that's sort of helpful and facilitating that is like more production meetings that can have a bit of a casual element to part of them. Uh, because if you're connecting more frequently, you may not always have a technical thing that you really need to talk about or enough to fill the time of gathering everyone. But you can chat about what's been going on and be brought into um, brought into the world a little bit more, which I think is really helpful. Um yeah. So I feel like on um, Slaughter Brothers, we had a good amount of production meetings together, which is really, really helpful because there was a lot going on with that show. Like there is a whole uh, projection design situation. And so that was great because I could see some of that. Like we could have a Zoom meeting and they could show it to me like just with a screen share, which is awesome. Uh, is Which is something, you know, that would have been really difficult in the past had i not been able to go to the building
0: yeah yeah for sure um now you've been working with um Domless city theater which was originally urban bard um since 2007 and uh you're the head of production um where did you start with with that company and and what is Domless city theater for for people who might not know
1: Um, Dauntless is, uh, I feel, I, I love Dauntless. I just feel like my smile got so huge thing (laughs) here, but it's really like my theatrical home. So Dauntless is a site-specific queer Shakespeare company. And we do, um, immersive theater, which is sometimes referred to as ambulatory or, um, promenade style. So basically we work our primary, uh, contract is with the St. Lawrence Market Neighborhood BIA. And so we are often working in Bursey Park. This year, we were in St. James Park. And with our shows, the audience moves with us. So different parts of the park may be, you know, a palace and another part might be another country. And so as our actors move through the scenes, they're pulling the audience to follow them to the next scene that just starts to happen as people are arriving, Um, which is really unique and really accessible all of our shows are pay what you can that are out um outdoors and we get a lot of audience who are just walking by like so many times you know someone's just like going for a walk and then they're like oh what's happening and they stay and watch the show which is really beautiful um but we are really focused on i mean we've always had um well what sort of i guess originally happened with the company is that we were doing sort of which at the time in 2007, people would call like, I don't know, like gender swap casting, maybe that sort of thing, like having a female Antonio or, you know, um, that sort of thing in a way that's not like sexy Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like just casting people differently. um, And that moved fairly quickly into trying and... Uh, Trying to have a more diverse cast, to have more Black, Indigenous, and people of color, which is something that in our the past, I don't know, five, six, maybe seven years we've been very successful at. We've met a lot of incredible, incredible actors um, who we've been able to work with and uh, who have gotten to play a lot of roles that they may not have otherwise. So that's really something that's important to us. And queerness is pretty much always at the the core of of what we do. And, um, and because it's Shakespeare and you don't have to worry about royalties or anything and you can do whatever you want, uh, we do a lot of messing with Shakespeare. We take out bits that we think aren't serving any purpose like i know when we did loves labors lost you know there's this whole thing with rosaline and people um being like super racist to her you know she's supposed to be darker skinned like in the play and we're like yeah maybe we can just like take that out we that's not helping anybody and it's not relevant story and yeah or you know some of the shows that are comedies end and it's just sort of like I still don't know that those people should have gotten together after this hot mess situation. Maybe <laughs> we'll just like rework that. Maybe we'll steal something from another show and put it in and change the ending a little bit. So and I think that that's nice. I think it th- it keeps stories that people think of as universal, but makes them universal still you know, or relevant still in a way that they may not otherwise be like everybody has seen all white Shakespeare and like, who cares at this point? Like hetero white Shakespeare is just like, we've been doing it for literally hundreds of years. I think we can stop.
0: <laughs> I think that, that, that a lot of times to me, and I have been, I've, you know, as, as, as an actor in the, in Canada, you do a lot of Shakespeare, especially when you're, when you're younger, it's just like, that's just a thing. And, at a certain point uh, I've encountered companies that seem to just do a show because I think it would be cool to do that show. And they try to be like, they try to come up with a concept and the concept does not marry with the story mm-hmm. at yeah. all. And so you're always bumping into the story while you're trying, like the concept is bumping into the story and it doesn't, doesn't work. Um, but you can change and you can do stuff. As long as it does serve the story. And that's I think the the important thing. I think sometimes people try to get super smart, quote unquote, with with their Shakespeare and that to their detriment sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's all there and little things can make a big difference. Like this year we did our show was called This Earth of Majesty, and it was a rework of Richard II. Um uh and it was you know, it was really, really beautiful. And in our Richard II, Richard's consort was a non-binary actor, a non-binary character. They had a queer relationship, but nothing with how it was written said that we couldn't do that. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't when we're doing those things, like you said, it's never for the point of like, aha, but did you expect the gaze? And it's like, <laughs> 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 you know, it's just a natural part of how how we work and how we tell stories and how people can see themselves in it like that's a huge important part to when you're casting shows in the city well I mean anywhere um but especially like when you're doing a show in the streets of Toronto and people are walking by and you're in the most diverse city in the world um People need to look and sound like people from all over the world to be relevant and to make people who are walking by feel seen and feel like, oh, maybe I can come watch this. Maybe this is interesting for me.
0: I just think that generally what we put on this stage should reflect the world around us. Um, And so when you're creating theater in the most diverse city in the world, you should the stage should be filled with as many colors of people uh uh uh, uh nationalities of people uh, as we see on the street and that should just be uh the way the way it works and that, and and because i think otherwise audiences of color see a show and they say i guess this isn't for me
1: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and yeah like why Why would they necessarily want to come and why should we expect a diverse audience if we're not going to put in the work to have a diverse cast and diverse crew? Or if we're not going to listen to those people in rehearsal about like, Mm -hmm. actually, I don't think that my character is going to do that. I don't think me as an actor, as a person is going, believes that this is, you know, how... This character is going to approach things like that's yeah. a, an important part of it as well as like you've got to have those people, but you have to also recognize the actual lived experience they're bringing to yeah. your show and how incredibly yeah. valuable and important that is. Like, that's the whole point of doing it is to have these other perspectives.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and those conversations in the rehearsal room are super impor- important to avoid causing harm which yeah. has historically happened in the theater.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Like we have something that like our founding artistic director, Scott Emerson Moyle, who everybody in the sort of indie theater world will have maybe interacted with at some point, lucky, hopefully for them. Um, And he kind of started this thing of like uh, a policy of like, there's no assholes in the room. And that's really important to our shows. Like there are, there's no one who's going to be treating anybody badly. There's no one who's not as important as anybody else. And that's sort of evolved to like a more official room agreement um, and helping people understand where we're coming from. You know, like we have been very fortunate to work with in the past and this year, um, actors who are older. And so this year, well, we have like non-binary actors and trans actors, Um, And older actors who just have less um, experience dealing with people who are out because, you know, so many people are out now and have not always been Um, that. Yeah, like making the room agreement together, talking through it and explaining to them how that works, like bringing them into like this is why we're talking about pronouns and this is why we're really working for that is really, um, really important and makes like a unified group of people.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the things, and you, you sort of like alluded to it, is that that uh, Dauntless City Theater is works on queering uh, Shakespeare. A couple of years ago, I spoke to a number of members of, of a cast of uh, one of the shows, and we did talk about about the importance of queering queering Shakespeare and what that looks like. Um, you're you've described uh, Dauntless, uh as uh, as being rooted in queering, subverting, and modernizing Shakespeare. Um, do you get pushback from actors when presenting this to them? Do people come to you ready to uh, uh, commit to it? Or are they? do people come to you thinking, oh, Shakespeare, I'm going to do this, and then have to make drastic changes to th- their thinking?
1: I think at this point and actually this year was a little bit different because we had had a break and almost every actor we worked with this year was totally new to us um but that also meant they were totally ready i think initially there was some expectation of you know shakespeare like for a while we would have people on auditions who were like very serious you know like very serious actors doing very serious shakespeare um, but that has changed. I think that Dauntless really um, sort of walked the walk and had a reputation for for doing things differently and for willing to listen if somebody thought that something wasn't completely right or what we were going for. And so, in general, I find that actors come in not only ready to do the work in a different way, but like excited to, really excited to just be like, "Oh, we can do this differently," because. There are, you know, with Shakespeare, like Shakespeare scholars and things, people who are so precious about it, but we are just not precious about it. You know, like we really aren't because there are enough people doing that. it doesn't really doesn't matter. And that's not important to us in the way that we are working.
0: I totally get you. I remember many years ago, I was doing a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. And uh, one of the lovers, you know, they, 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 they're talking about, you know, the, the, their their fathers were there, all this stuff. And you know, was not your father there? Yeah, some was not my father here, yay, and my father is the line, yay, and my father. And the actor said, Yeah, and my father. And it totally brought it home for an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a couple of people who after this show were like, Did you say yeah? <laughs> like that was the worst thing that you could possibly do. We were doing it in like modern clothing. So it was like, why not? And yet some people get so uptight about those things
1: yeah and like why at this like i don't know i just i don't think that it matters and i don't think it does any favors and i don't think it invites anybody new in like if we're going to be so rigid like why would anyone be interested or you know like we had um people work on our show this year who don't have any like cultural history with shakespeare Mm. you know like why? I don't know that we should necessarily expect them to really care if we're going to be such jerks about, it, you know, like such snobs about it. Like it's the most precious playwright in the entire world. Like no other culture has a great playwright. You know, it's I think it's silly, but we have it's interesting. Like I find our audience is really, really supportive and into it and even people who don't really expect it. But we do pretty much every year have this one older man who comes with like kind of a folding chair and like the script of whatever we're doing (laughs) and just like having the hardest time, you know, like trying to follow the play because we've chopped it up or we've mixed some pieces around. And I am just like, uh, just, just put your book away. It's okay, buddy. (laughs) Just, it's all right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I do think that that kind of, that kind of uh, preciousness, that snobbery around Shakespeare does keep people away. Um, And again, since very, since a lot of people's first experience with Shakespeare was being poorly taught it in high school, so they're already predisposed to hate it. And then if we approach it from a point where it should only be done in pumpkin pants with a ruff and the big the big dresses and all this sort of stuff, and we should follow all of these rules about how it should be performed, then we're just confirming that it's not for the people who are already predisposed to dislike it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's such an amazing point. And I always tell people like, if you feel like Shakespeare is not for you, Dauntless Shakespeare is for you. Like you will come and you will understand what we're saying and you will understand what's happening. Like it's going to be fine. But there are so many people who are afraid of it. Like, you know, I have a very close group of friends who are not theater people who I think have seen zero of my Dauntless shows because they're like, uh. Shakespeare, I don't know, and it's like, do you really think that I'm out there making stuffy Shakespeare that you can't see? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs>
0: speaking of speaking of theater that um sort of like brings people in and brings people together, um, you know, your product, you were the producer on a production of the Rocky Horror Show, which I think that anybody any theater that's programmed it has found it's like their number one box office draw because. It brings in people who are not predisposed to going to theater. It brings in fans of the Rocky Horror Show or the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and mixes them with theater goers. Um, and some of those people who are fans of the Rocky Horror Show, they come multiple times.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like that was really that was something. Like Caleb, who directed the Rocky Horror Show, he had pitched it to Matt. I think the previous year or something, like they'd been ruminating on it for a long time before I kind of came in. Um, And I think that the board was really like, oh, I don't know, it's kind of racy. And their supporters, I mean, it's like a rural town. Their supporters are older people who are coming for Norm Foster or whatever. And like, they they weren't sure uh, but they were like yeah let's you know like let's do it the timing was going to be post pandemic like let's have some fun let's get some people there but they did not anticipate the the numbers like more than 4000 people saw that show which is incredible mm-hmm. for here and um and you know like i knew that it would be a huge hit i've been a huge rocky horror fan since i was like 15 um and i grew up in this town where there, that was my only connection to queer culture. That's the only thing that made me feel like there are other people in this universe like me and they are out there somewhere in Toronto is what I assumed and was correct. But like, they're also here, you know, like not everybody got to leave. And that's also with like the the amount of incredible talent here too, is like not everybody left. There are still incredible people here, interesting people here. There's a whole community of people here waiting and so with the programming that's happening here a lot of the time isn't as exciting i knew that everyone was gonna be like oh my god there's a play i can go see i'm gonna go see it but it's funny like we had people who didn't know they were coming to see a play like i chatted in one guy in the lobby after the show one night yeah he thought he was coming to like that there was going to be a screen and we were projecting the movie which was like oh okay like yeah i mean it, it was a possibility but um, yeah. And the mix of people was amazing. Like you had some people, like it was really, really cool to see, you know, some parents bringing their like queer teenagers to come see it. And you could just see like their excitement to get to see something that felt like it was more for them. And I really, I really felt that I would have died as a teenager for the show to have existed in Aurelia and, Ooh, yeah. you know, like. It was it was beautiful and it was an interesting mix too because yeah, you do get like the people who are longtime Matt supporters coming to see the show because they come to see every show because they're great, great theater patrons. And then you have all these people who've been watching this movie for twenty years screaming at their T V in their basement who don't know how theater works. It's very hilarious, but like really, really fun.
0: Yeah. I think both I mean, when the um when can can stage did it and also when stratford did it a few years later later they had signed in the lobby because they knew they were going to be mixing their theater audience and the rocky horror audience just to i think it was more for their patrons their regular patrons to let them know no, no no these people are supposed to be shouting they're supposed to be shouting don't get upset this is yeah. part of the show
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like we sold some little goodie bags with noisemakers and glow sticks and stuff in the lobby for people to kind of have a little bit of control, though they're not throwing rice and toast and spoons and things. And a little like some warnings here and there in the program to just be like, it's okay." Like that exact same thing. Like this is going to happen. Some people are going to yell things. And the shows were all very different, but it was rare to not have audience participation. Mm -hmm. Like that was really, really big. And fun and amazing. I mean, the first opening night when we did over at the Frankenstein place and like I turned around to look at the audience. I was sitting very close to the front and it was just like a sea of like lights from cell phones and glow sticks. And I started crying. It was so emotional. I was Uh, like, uh, oh, my God, all these people are here and they're doing the thing. I was so happy.
0: That's so awesome. That's so awesome. And I, I imagine that 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 people traveled for this show. In a way that they might not for a Norm Foster, that that people made a bit more of a journey because that show is that show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like we did have um, an incredible sort of uh, social media outreach happening. Um, Shannon, who was in our chorus, also did our publicity and she just did such a fun campaign. And it brought in, a, it had a huge reach, and it brought in a ton of people, but yeah, from everywhere. People from Newmarket, we had people come from farther north, like Bracebridge, Huntsville, Gravenhurst, um, multiple times. We had somebody come from Kingston, I think, like all all over the place, many people from Toronto. Um, Yeah, so that was really, really exciting, too. Really exciting.
0: Nice, nice. Now, one of the things that I love to talk about is—is is I love to hear people's theater origin story. We all, everybody who does theater, whether they're on stage, behind the stage, whether they're producing, doing something, they have a moment where they fell in love with theater and decided that was the thing for them. What was your theater origin story?
1: Um, my theater origin story—it has like a bit of a weird turn in it. Like when I was in grade nine, uh, the high school I went to, OD and Aurelia, of which many of the retired teachers are members of Matt, which is hilarious and weird because I have to try to call them by their first names and it's weird now that I'm a grown up. But we did a production of Anything Goes and that really, really lit something in me. I worked in the costumes, which I absolutely loved. And I just, it really bit me but it in a way that shifted me to film um where I was just like this is incredible this is amazing I want to do things that are going to last forever so I was like movies that's for me and I went to film school um at Humber and when I got out of film school it was like the SARS situation which had really kind of destroyed theater industry but I worked on a few movies um which was great and in the costume departments and some which was really, really incredible. Like, I got my costumes training and mentorship from Julie Weiss, who's absolutely brilliant. Like, she did Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and I think Twelve Monkeys, and a whole bunch of things. And so that was really, like, unbelievable um, and exciting. But the jobs just, like, dried up. Everything went out to the West Coast for a really long time. And... During that time, I can't even remember exactly how I got hooked up with this person, but there was a woman doing like a kind of Mae West adjacent show at Buddy's and needed a production manager. And I was like, eh, I can do that probably. So I did that and I ended up kind of also being the stage manager. And even though that experience was not fantastic, it really was like, oh, this is actually where I want to be. Like when I was working in film uh, because like I always wanted to have kids, it was very apparent to me like oh none of the women I'm working with have children, and and there's very good reason for that. It's incredibly difficult. I mean maybe it's gotten a tiny bit better now. That was a while ago, but um, I was just like oh I don't know how to have a life and have this career, and also the career was very unstable um, at that point. So I ended up doing theater and. Loved it and felt immediately, even though I was new, that there was a place for me, a place for my ideas, a community to be had. Like, it felt like the hierarchy was far less important in theater than it was on a film set where it was incredibly important. And so from that job, I just kind of met some people at Buddies who invited me to do another show. And then I worked with Guy Gilbert, which was cool, and a bunch of really amazing, interesting people. And... That just kind of kept happening basically forever. Like I just kind of kept getting bounced around people. And then I randomly ended up being roommates with Scott and he started Urban Bard. And we just were like two halves of the same brain for many, many, many years, which really like solidified my my sort of theater life.
0: Mm. It's, I find it interesting that you know you you sort of caught the theater bug and you were like, I want things to live forever so if that's what you want, theater is not going to be it because you really have to come to terms with the impermanence of theater that yeah I remember when I was younger people would you know they knew that I wanted to be an actress so I would get like gifts of like here's a book about theater and they would talk about these productions and I'd be like well, but I can't see it. Like, you're talking about how brilliant this production is, and all I know is that it was brilliant. And I I can't... Maybe there's a couple of pictures, but I can't see it. And you just have to come to terms with the fact that that's the way theater is. Each day, each night, each performance is in the past. It will never happen that way again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's a completely different... A completely different thing. And... I think just, I don't know, experience or reflecting on experiences just sort of changed, but I just felt so much more at home in theater. And I still have, like, a huge love of film, like, you know, that came from my dad would, like, rent movies with us, like, every weekend. That's what we always did was watch movies. We didn't have much money, so it was like we're always going to be at home, like, watching a ton of movies all weekend. And like my dad, it's very strange because he chose everything we'd watch. But like every once in a while, like I don't know, he would say like something about the Godfather, and be like, "Oh, I haven't seen the Godfather." And he's like, "What are you talking about? How could you have never seen the Godfather? That's so stupid!" And like go and rent it. It's like, but you're the you're the guy. Like if you show it to me, I haven't seen it. Um, yeah. So it, you're right. It's really really different, but it lives in the people who do it and the people who have seen it and even though that can be hard I mean there are endless shows like I mean working in indie theater and having Mm -hmm. two kids I rarely have money to go or time to go (laughs) see a show yeah Yeah. it's weird because you want to see everything and you really just can't but I just find it even exciting talking to people about like whatever they've been working on or whatever they recently saw even if you can't see it it's like it lives in this weird theater zone that somehow makes it okay. Like, you know, it was so great for the time it was happening and then you move on to the next thing that's so great. Like, it's always sad. My come down from Rocky Horror is terrible. My come down from everything is always like, I'm no good between shows. The first part of the pandemic was very stressful for me because I was just like, yeah, but like, I gotta gotta be doing a show. What's happening here? (laughs) Um, So it's always sad because you're like, Feel like you'll never see those people again and everybody's always like oh we'll get together and it's not possible because it's like 20 people and you're all going to your next project but there's just i don't know when you work on something that you love and that you've enjoyed with the people that were working on it with you it's like i don't know it feeds your soul in a way that it's like permanent to you
0: yeah i think that's the thing because i mean we all have been in a situation where because you know we form these little families that that exist for the show And then we lie to each other and say that we'll get back together. But you eventually, I guess, have to come to terms with the fact that this was a family. Yeah. And when the show's over, like, we're always going to be happy to run into each other because of this family. But we're not going to see each other in the same way. We just have to let it go in the same way that we have to let go a show where nobody laughed at the jokes and move on to the next one. You know, it's (laughs) the same kind of thing. We just have to allow the impermanence but it's so hard because the emotions are so strong
1: yeah yeah it really really is and especially when you get like a short run or you know or you're picking up steam at the end of your run which is really the case with slaughter brothers like that show was brilliant and weird and it was really finding its audience like we lost a week we lost our first week because of COVID. So we only had two weekends and uh, deserved a longer run. Same with Rocky Horde. Like if we could have had another weekend or so, like it's when things are going well, it never feels like enough time because at the sort of an indie level, like nobody's doing a run for months or years yeah. or whatever. It's it's going to be short. And at the time it rarely feels like enough time. Except for maybe fringe. Often at yeah. fringe, you're like, okay, this was the best two weeks ever and we're good.
0: <laughs> I think that fringe is a little different because fringe is so intensely one thing. Right? Yeah. It's like yeah. you're out there, you're promoting, you're doing the show, you're seeing a bunch of shows, it's a whirlwind, and at the end of it, you're like, Okay. <laughs> I I'm good. Um, which is what makes like a fringe tour like a real roller coaster of a you know, you come down, you go, get into another city, we're going to have um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, so, it's so hard. And I think that also, generally in Canada, we don't have long runs. Like, there are shows that can and probably should run longer, but we don't have the kind of venue space that some other cities do where a show can get picked up and can run for a long time. Even... On the Mervish stages, shows don't tend to run for a long period of times. So on the you know, the big production company Mervish, for people who aren't from the Toronto area, they do all the big the big Broadway shows, the huge shows uh, that come to Toronto, um, and even they, they they have other shows on the schedule, except when they block off a, a time in a theater. But for the most part, a show can't run indefinitely the way it can say in New York or London.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's absolutely true. And and for sort of um, I don't know, like a mid level like Tarragon or Passe Marae or some of these the factory um that are soul peppered like places, crows has like places that are doing some really interesting work like this year, I feel like everybody's programming has just been like next level. And of course, I'm in Aurelia in Severn, just like, oh, my God, like, I can't get to the city and see this what's happening. Um, it's It would kind of be a shame for things to run a long time because there's so many incredible people and so many incredible theater makers doing really interesting stuff. And if if we did book people for months at a time, then there's like 10 other shows that wouldn't wouldn't be
0: possible you're right
1: it's like we just don't have enough space
0: i know Uh, and that's the unfortunate balance and the unfortunate thing is i feel like that causes us to have a a disposable attitude towards some of the theater that we do we don't it doesn't get a chance time to breathe The show can be successful yay the show is successful and then a year later it maybe gets a dora nomination and maybe an award but it's over and it's forgotten
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: that it doesn't have true. a chance to 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 run and that's just you know that's just space tarragon has a whole season that they have to fit in they a show can't run indefinitely just because it's in there so it's a tough one and i i i i wish that you know wishes 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 i i you know it'd be great if we had more space that we could afford more space in the city we could you know have more theater that that lives that lives on but but it is theater scene is what it is you know
1: yeah yeah it's really true it's it's similar you know up here um in Aurelia at least like our our only spot really like is the opera house uh which has an upstairs theater that's very large it's i don't know over six i think it's close to 700 seats and they have a studio theater that's around a hundred um, And then Mariposa Arts, they have a warehouse where they do have some space, but they haven't done much. They're going to do some things this spring, which I'm excited about. But it's, yeah, like there's just not a lot of places for things to happen. And so for me, it's been interesting because there's really only a couple of groups, you know, like Mariposa Arts Theater is doing yeah. their thing and they only have so many people they can't do more than you know 3 or so shows in a year because they're yeah. burning out all of their volunteers otherwise mm. um and arts aurelia is sort of young and just starting and so they are pacing themselves with how you know what they can do because they're funding so many things residencies and things that's a little bit out of time and i'm just sort of sitting here like Wishing for a little storefront theater you know, where I could just be doing something yeah. all the time, even though I have more than enough to keep me busy. It's like I'm always ravenous for like the next project. I'm never content with what I know is lined up. There's always going to be more, and more, more, which is my
0: own personal
1: hell of my own making.
0: <laughs> but if that's the thing that you're passionate about, that makes it not a hell. That's something that you're opposing on it, That to to call it that. Because if it's something you really want, it's not hell.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. It is. And I miss it. I do miss, like, that is a fun thing about Toronto and having done like a million fringes and so many, especially when I was stage managing so many different yeah. shows, like you mentioned, like working with Adri and um, like all the all the people that I've worked with through the years, like doing shows in weird little crevice spaces that are creepy and terrible. <laughs> but like, It's fun. And that's kind of the charm is like, will we survive this run? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the unique venues, like it's it's easy to miss them and it's easy to miss the how much opportunity that that can provide for people. Like it's difficult because Funding is hard and having the money to do a show is difficult. Even when you have storefront theaters, it's not always affordable, Um, but it's something. And when there's so many of them, there, you know, there are
0: options, options for people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Stevie, thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. I'm so thrilled to have had this conversation with you.
1: Yes, me too. I'm so happy we finally, you know, got to chat to each other.
0: This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at philrickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy.